Well, I want to begin today um, with a word of thanks. Thank you very much. Um, some of you have been praying for me since before I arrived, and um, you know that I've been looking for a house. I'm happy to tell you, I bought a house. And it is beyond. God is showing off. Wait till you come over. You'll see. My prayer was that I would have a place where I could gather people because hospitality is super important to me. It's one of the ways I think we model, um, that Jesus modeled for us. You know, he's always cooking breakfast for his disciples or gathering them around the table. And that was, it's really important to me. So if you've been praying, thank you. Your prayers have been answered. So I wanted to thank you before God and thank God in front of you. You're already and continually a blessing to me. I also want to show you that I had a little help getting the first pod unloaded yesterday. Um, look at that stellar cast of characters. I had no idea, some, and a few people arrived after we took the picture. I had no idea so many people were coming. So thank you if you were um, a lifter and unloader. Would you please join me in a word of prayer before we jump into God's word? God, thank you that you are the great provider. Shelter, food, life, love, peace. We come before you this morning as grateful people, grateful that we get to call you Father and also Lord and King. Your sure hands uphold us, God. I pray that you would hide me behind your word, that you would be glorified today, that we would be shaped and transformed because we have gathered to worship you. So make us nimble believers, God. Help us to open our hearts, our ears, and our souls to you. We love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Two weeks ago, when we were a little earlier in Philippians, Michael mentioned that um, in Philippians 3, Paul says, have faith, and then there are no instructions. Sort of rude, right? But we know that faith is a mystery, and there are some ways we can learn to live in faith. We're going to focus on um, verses 8 and 9 in chapter 4 today, and I'm here to tell you this is more of a how-to. So if you're like me and you like step-by-step -step instructions, you're going to get some of those today. Paul has written to the church at Philippi, his beloved people, because they're experiencing conflict. So we call this an occasional letter because it's written for that specific occasion. And there is no shortage of commands in here. He is bossing them around, but good. He's saying, this is how you live in Christ. This is how you live with one another. As Ben noted last week um, in verse 7, Paul speaks of peace, and that peace is really all things in right relationship. Um, in 2019, we think of peace as being that, maybe the absence of conflict or the absence of war, but it's a much deeper and more profound meaning in the scriptures. We know that peace from God is a gift from God, as Ben reminded us. Peace with God is possible because Jesus Christ intervened on our behalf. And the peace of God is beyond our understanding and anything we could simply conjure up on our own. So this serenity, this rightness of all things only happens in, with, and comes from God. It's a sense of absolute well-being in our souls, no matter the circumstances of our life. So then Paul says this, guard your hearts and your minds. He's using a military term here. And um, when I was studying, one of the commentators said, oh, it's like this fortress. And so, of course, the old hymn, a mighty fortress is our God, came to mind, right? The next line is a bulwark, never failing. 
Yeah, so if you're old like me and you remember that hymn, go sing it later today. So this leads us up to our verses for today. Philippians 4, 8 and 9. This is the same version, the English Standard Version, which you have in the little handouts. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Paul says, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. That is good news. I want the God of peace with me. Paul is saying to us here that thinking and doing actually cannot be separated. They go together. Let me say that again. Thinking and doing cannot be separated. They must be put together. Sometimes at church, we use fancy words like orthodoxy. What does that actually mean? Well, that's like the straight way of thinking about Christian doctrine. So it has to do with um, a method for understanding Christianity. But we also have to be concerned with orthopraxy, and it means exactly what you think it does. It has to do with our practice of our Christian faith. It begins with our thoughts and our attitudes, which then lead to our actions. So now I've confused you. You're going, wait, does, are my actions first or are my thoughts first? And the answer is yes, right? <laughs> they both lead to and intersect with one another. So how do we hold our thoughts captive to Christ and think on these things that Paul has listed for us? I want to say to Paul, dude, you do not live in our world. We are inundated with information and details all day long, every day. But is it actually possible to do that, to hold those good things in the front of mind? I believe it is because God's word says it is. One of my favorite passages in scripture is from Romans 12, one and two. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So Paul has said one more time, it's possible to have your mind renewed. Well, how do we do that? Good news is, we know how our mind gets renewed, and it's due to neuroplasticity. Steve Finkbeiner, our resident neurologist, was here with us first hour, and he said, I did not lie when I gave this explanation. So here we go. We're going to do it again. Let me read to you as a non-scientist. I'm going to tell you what neuroplasticity, how it actually works. Our brains change throughout our lives, and they're adaptable like plastic, hence the term neuroplasticity. It's like a dynamic power grid. There are billions of pathways lighting up when we think or feel or do anything. Those become really well-traveled roads with like ruts in them. When we think on things differently or when you learn a new task or trying to develop a new habit, you actually create and carve out a new pathway in your brain, a new road, so to speak. So, this is neuroplasticity in action, when I learn to do something new or different. And some of you know I have moved many, many times since I've been here. So I've been here um, about four months, and I have moved 11 different times. 
So that's in and out of different people's homes. And I'm not complaining. I'm so grateful I've neither gone hungry nor homeless. So don't feel sorry for me, but feel sorry for my brain because it's been a test of how good neuroplasticity is working in my head. Well, all right, let me try this with you. Okay, if you're willing, you're not going to have to do anything embarrassing, but close your eyes for a minute. All right, now reach for your toothbrush at home. You know right where it is. You can open your eyes, right? You knew right where it was. Most of you like reached out. I'm left-handed, so I go like this. When you move 11 times, I don't know where the toothbrush is. <laughs> I like walk to one side of the bathroom. I'm, oh, different house. It's over here in this one. So my brain has been working overtime. That must be God's grace that I'm standing before you thinking even remotely sanely today. But we get to choose to develop these new connections in our brain. We get to choose what we think about. In order to develop a new habit, to create a new connection, it takes practice. Well, long before scientists were making these discoveries, Henry David Thoreau unwittingly described the same process of how paths become developed in our minds and how they can travel. In Walden, this is what Thoreau wrote. The surface of the earth is soft and impressible by the feet of men, and so, with the paths, the mind travels. How worn and dusty must be the highways of the world. How deep the ruts of tradition and conformity. Oh, hearken back to Paul and Romans. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by God. Paul is saying, you don't have to be conformed to the world. You can choose a new way of life. Well, what happens when we choose the new way of life? You know? Paul has some more to say about that in Galatians. Let me read it to you from Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step or in sync with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. In other words, don't live your life by the way of the world. Live your life by the Spirit. So the Greek here, I'm just reminding you, I did go to seminary a really long time ago, so every once in a while, you get to break out the Greek, is, is actually super interesting because it's a present continuous imperative, which means this. Paul is saying, walk in the Spirit, keep walking, keep walking, keep walking, keep walking. It's a command. Do this, just like the imperative in Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Live God's way, not the world's way. Now, when I was in grad school, I depended greatly on mnemonics to help me because, you know, to take Greek and Hebrew in your late 30s, my brain was so old and tired. It was really hard. So I, mnemonics were super helpful to me. And the word for the spirit in Greek is paraclete. Now, this is how I remember. It's like a pair of cleats, right? <laughs> how many athletes are in the room? A few of you. You would never run on track without cleats. You would never engage in whatever sport you participate in without the right gear. We should never engage in life without the paraclete with us. I hope that will stick for you the way it has stuck for me over the years. Super helpful. We get to determine what we think about. So some of you know that um, I am addicted to the bar. 
Okay, now you're looking concerned. I don't mean a bar, B-A-R, I mean the bar, pure bar, B-A-R-R-E. I take classes. Our own lovely Mandy Gap actually teaches bar classes. And um, let me see if I can describe it to you, because people always think because there's a ballet bar on the wall, it's dancing. It's not dancy at all. But let me read to you pure bar's description of the class. Pure Bar is a low-impact total body workout set up to upbeat music and music to create high-energy, graceful, yet intense 55-minute muscle sculpting class. It moves through quick progression of small, isometric movements designed to isolate major muscle groups, including arms, thighs, seat, and abs. Please bring a water bottle to stay hydrated. Okay. So that is about how they talk during the class. They are talking from the minute the class begins until 55 minutes later when the class ends. I love it. Some of you are like, I'm exhausted just thinking about it. For me, it's exhilarating for a couple of reasons. One is, I am so focused while I'm there. Because in order to follow the instructor and do the exercise correctly, I have to listen really intently. Do you know what happens when I do that? I push all other thoughts out of my mind. So for me, it's actually restful and self-care and sort of healing to me to be in there and have my mind focused. The other thing is that the instructors, they're all delightful, they're all encouraging, and they remind me and the rest of the class by saying this over and over. You can do this. You're stronger than you think. I have been retraining my mind in these classes to say, I can do this. I am getting stronger. I can do this. We have a choice what we think about it everything in our lives. All right, let me give you the opposite. I'm going to give you Paul's words, but in the negative. Maybe this will work for some of you. Finally, brethren, whatever is not true, whatever is trivial, whatever is not right, whatever is impure or unlovely or not worth repeating, if there is anything not morally excellent, if there is anything unworthy of praising, don't think on these things. We know from science that it's not enough to will ourselves to think differently. We do actually have to practice because practice makes permanent. Let me say that again. Practice makes permanent. When we create new pathways, we get to live life in freedom. And I know, I know if you're at all like me, it's hard to imagine being able to just stop your thoughts. And so I will tell you one of my little tricks. When I am thinking about something that's not good for me, it's not worthy of praise, it's not excellent, it's not noble, I often will say to myself out loud, I don't want to think about this anymore. And guess what? My brain listens to my voice. It's very familiar. <laughs> but it is true, it is part of why talk therapy works, because we hear ourselves articulating a truth. And so, I will say to myself out loud that very thing. I don't want to think about this anymore. Just the break-in thought pattern shifts. It's like making a left turn on the road, and I get off the old highway of doubt, criticism, and negativity, and I turn onto a new highway of freedom and lovely thoughts and good things. G.K. Chesterton, his name might not be familiar to you, he's a 20th century writer who wrote a book entitled The Everlasting Man. And that book is what led C.S. Lewis to follow Jesus Christ. Pretty cool. Chesterton wrote a little piece that I'd like to read for you. It was helpful for me. You say grace before meals, he said. Well, all right. 
But I say grace before the concert and the opera, and grace before the play and pantomime, and grace before I open a book, and grace before sketching, painting, swimming, fencing, boxing, walking, playing, dancing, and grace before I dip the pen in the ink. You see, God's grace is present to us in so many ways and so many places of our lives. We live sometimes like the world has, is in charge of our thoughts, and the world is not. We get to choose what we think. Michael Neal is a professor who studies human potential, and he has sort of an interesting TED Talk, but I love the title of it. The title is, Why Aren't We Awesomer? Right? I like when people make up words. I do that a lot. Essentially, his talk is about the fact that we aren't choosing our thoughts. We're letting our thoughts come, come like a battering ram at us, and that's why we're not as awesome as we could be. Um, when my girls were little, the younger would almost, not all, let me not exaggerate, she would often say to her big sister, you're not the boss of me, right? Anybody have kids? You've heard them say that? You're not the boss of me. Well, I don't want my thoughts to be the boss of me. I want Jesus to be the boss of me. And so I get to interrupt and say, God, take my thoughts. You guys do this all the time. You pause and change the way you're thinking. I know you do because anybody in the room use a computer, smartphone, any of those things? Yeah, all of us, right? So here's an example that I've learned to do, and I know you guys do the same thing. A few months ago, after back surgery, my neurosurgeon said, I want you to buy hiking poles. So what did I do? I went online to REI, and I looked up hiking poles, and I ordered a pair. And then, what happens? Every time I open another page, even like Bible Gateway or something, what's scrolling down the sides of my computer screen? The ads for the hiking poles, which I've already purchased and used. But there it is. But does it bug me? Am I reading those ads? No. Did I at first, before, you know, before Google started attacking me with all of those? If at the beginning, I did. I got distracted, and I look at them and go, oh, I already bought those poles. Now, I have trained my brain, as have you, right? And so you see only and pay attention to what's on the page in front of you. You are the boss of your thoughts. Isn't that good news? Aren't you glad you came to church today? You're the boss of you. Jesus can be the boss of you. That's good news. Well, neuroscientists are not the, one, the first ones to say that you can change your behavior or you can change your thoughts. Solomon did this a long time ago. He said this in Proverbs, as a man thinks, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. So what we think, we become. One pastor said this to me, it's so important that we ask our brothers and sisters in Christ, what's on your mind? And here's why. Because whatever is on your mind, he said, is synonymous with whatever is already on your heart. And whatever is already on your heart and mind is eventually going to show up, Court. It's going to show up all over your hands and your feet and your life. Man, I want good things to show up in my life. I want to look like Jesus looked and live like Jesus lived. So I got to think like Jesus thought. In the great tradition of Judaism, there is the Shema prayer that is prayed every morning. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. What's fascinating to me is that Jesus mixed it up a little bit. Here from the book of Mark, you'll see Jesus said this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul and with all your mind, he added, and with all your strength. You know, in verse 8, Paul is saying this. This is my command to you. Do this and your life will be different. These are imperatives. First, in verse 4, Paul says rejoice. In verse 6, he says don't be anxious for anything. And then in 8, it's like all the exclamation points are after this. Live this way. Dwell on these things. St. Francis of Assisi um, took a vow of poverty, and it led him to numerous adventures, as you might imagine. There's a great story about him and a brother named Brother Maceo. One day, they were begging in a small village for food and couldn't find very much. So as they left town, they only had some dry crusts of bread. They found a flat rock by a spring of water. They used the rock as a table. Francis said, Maceo, we do not deserve such a great treasure as this that we have today. I can hear Maceo rolling his eyes, but in the story he says, um, how could this poverty be a treasure, Francis? How could it be a treasure? We have no cloth, no dish, no bowl, no house, no table. And elated, Francis replied, replied that's why I consider this such a treasure. Nothing was prepared by human labor this has all been supplied by divine providence, by God. God gave us a stone to use as a table, water from this spring, and dried crusts that others had left behind. And the story ends this way. Joyfully, they finished their meal and journeyed on, journeyed on toward France, rejoicing and praising the Lord in song. That seems to me like they are dwelling on what is good and noble, praiseworthy and excellent. Francis was fully at home in his poverty and fully at home in this created world because he saw God in everything around him. I had my own opportunity this week to see God at work around me. As I said, I, I'm excited, I'm in my new home, but um, on Tuesday morning I was in the meeting with our pastoral staff. And Ben said, how can we pray for you? And I thought for a moment, and I said, you know, I'm going to go sign escrow papers today, and I'm so grateful to be moving into this new home. It is beyond my wildest dream. And this is hard on my heart. I've been single for 12 years. I don't love being single. And every time I do something like this without a partner and on my own, it's like a prick in my heart, and it reminds me of my being single. So apparently the pastoral team was praying because I got to the escrow office and in walked these two characters, my amazing realtors, Bjorn and Debbie. Now I have bought and sold a lot of homes over the years. Never has a realtor shown up for me at escrow signing. Never. They walked in and I was stunned. I mean, I just couldn't believe they were there. And I said, I can't believe you guys are here. And then it almost brought me to tears because they said, Courtney, we weren't going to let you do this alone. Divine providence, friends. God is at work in the details and in the grandeur. So Sundays to me are like a rehearsal for the rest of the week. I hope that when we're here, we're learning to worship God 
to pray, to sing songs to God, to study God's word. So as we close this morning, I want to take a few minutes and walk you through just some images that I hope will catch your attention. My greater hope is that during this week, you will look around at all the things God has created and see that he is praiseworthy. See that there are things about which you can proclaim his excellence, things that are noble and good and just. Wendell Berry said, be joyful though you've considered all the facts. So which facts are you studying? What's on your mind today? Maybe, just maybe this week, you can create some new connections in your brain by looking at things like these and seeing God at work. My friend Lisa is a caterer, and she's forever saying to me, Courtney, you eat with your eyes first. And so it is my habit, even with a bowl of berries, to put them in the bowl and thank God for the beauty of the berries, to savor the taste as they explode in your mouth because this is God's gift to us. How about this? This little tiny baby. This looks pure to me and lovely. One of my favorite things is people gathered around a table to eat. My favorite sound is actually the sound of a party. Maybe you'll have this experience this week, or maybe for you it's the grandeur of the ocean that we live so close to. Those crashing waves remind me of God's majesty. Or the trees that are on the hills all around us right here in Marin. Can you see what's lovely, what's commendable, what's beautiful here? I love when people fill their soul shape. When Michael is up here leading worship, I go, man, that's God. He's using every shape of his soul. He's firing on all cylinders. He's doing what God created him to do, at least part of it. We have a chance to see that with healthcare workers, our coworkers the teachers who serve us and our children. What's commendable? This is noteworthy to me. Or perhaps if you're a musician or you love music, something like this has deeper meaning to you. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. I was at the Seattle Symphony a few years ago with a friend, and we were listening to this amazing hallelujah chorus, Handel's Messiah. And he leaned over and he said, you think people know they're singing God's word right now? I said, I don't know, but we know, friend. We know. It's my hope and prayer that as you go throughout this week, you will see that God is all around you that there are things that are true and honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, things that are excellent, things about which God is worthy of receiving praise. Robert Farrar Capon says this, every real thing is a joy if only we have eyes and ears to relish it and a nose and tongue to taste it. So friends, taste and see that the Lord is good. We are always only one thought away from realizing and experiencing God's presence with us. Please join me in prayer. God, thank you that you have given us this world and you've given us senses with which to savor it. So I pray that throughout this week as we savor these experiences that we would lift our gratitude to you. That we might Pay attention to all the beauty around us 
and be reminded that you are God and that your extravagant love has provided every single thing we see, hear, taste, and touch. God, we love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name.